Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk to a defensive tactics and executive protection instructor and discuss how to implement executive protection principles into civilian life. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. This episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA. Be sure to check out their ammo membership, which gets you 8% off, free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. If you'd like to sign up or purchase ammo, please go to targetsportsusa.com forward slash the gun experiment. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing? Doing good, buddy. How are you doing? Good. I just noticed we're, at, we're wearing matching Target Sports USA hoodies. Oh, I didn't notice. I will tell you what I did notice is that uh, for the first time that I can ever remember, I'm not wearing a hat, and that feels really weird. Oh, yeah. You do wear a hat here quite often. Yeah, I true. wear a hat. A lot often. of times. Yeah. <laughs> just often. I, do, you, like, uh, do you go to like, weddings and wear hats? Uh, no. <laughs> like, no, like a, a fancy, like a tangle? No, like a tangle. I <laughs> know. Uh, no, I do have a couple like, uh, hats for like horse racing and stuff. Okay, you cool. Know, you know. Uh, do you have any news for me? Any, any updates? Anything cool? Uh, can I think of anything cool? Uh, dry fire league is going pretty good. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, I was waiting this. I have to give you the mantis. Yeah. Well, I was waiting to, uh, shoot this week to get the mantis from you. Yes. Yeah. One, but the other was for this, which is oh, cool. that. 1911 it's a mag rail to put on the bottom of a of a mag very cool make mantis work yeah i can't figure out how to make it work the uh nighthawk mags are too nice to uh start (laughs) punching things at too too fancy (laughs) and then my uh wilson combat ones i think are too big i think i gotta get an eight round wilson combat weird mag to make this work okay so i'm gonna have to phone a friend so i think it's the uh yeah well, the the more expensive a gun, the more ju- the hoops you have to jump through. I guess you know. I guess so you're, you're not with us, plebes. You know, you're you're in another another level now. Did you? Uh, did, we should talk about. Did you like shooting it? Uh, I did. Yeah, I did. I like that 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 single action trigger. It's everything they say. Yeah. It's it is the trigger which everything else is compared to. I enjoyed shooting the shadow systems. I'm yeah. sure we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about that soon. But uh, for sure, finally got out there to the range. So that was another good thing. You and I, and we haven't been out there in a while. Yeah, we had a good session. Shot with some uh, armor on. Sounds we, dirty. It was <laughs> it was weird. We did steal somebody's uh, target stand. You did. I I didn't. <laughs> I thought you were an uh, accomplice there, but apparently not. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't know that guy. <laughs> uh, so I have some some good news to share. Okay. A while back, we had uh, Alex Hartman from Ridgeline Defense on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. They, and uh, uh, they had that cool driving school next to him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so impressed with uh, their facility and uh, all the the different trainings. I mean, it's the first time we've talked to anybody on the show about low light shooting. Yeah. And I I learned a lot from him. So we got to talking, and he has decided that he'd like to be a sponsor of the show. Get out of town. Cool. Yeah. So he uh, will will uh, hear a little more about those guys in a little bit. Does it come with uh, the ability to expand that sponsorship to that driving school? (laughs) I could always ask. Like, what kind of thing can we work out here? So if you're out there and you're uh, enjoying the content that we are creating, I would appreciate it if you guys could do us a favor and make sure that you are subscribed and leave us that five-star review and comment on Apple or just the five-star review on Spotify. I have links in the show notes to that, but that stuff really does start to get us ranked higher we've actually been moving up the ladder a little bit but i i really want to be like in that top 10 you know what i mean like that would be in the search when people search for 
gun content, I'd like to be in the top 10. So can't do that without you guys helping us out. All right, we're about to get into this interview. Before we do, tonight's interview is brought to you by Flatline Fiber Co. Flatline creates quality sewn goods for the firearms community. Whether you're looking for a new sling or maybe some ear pro wraps to make range sessions more comfortable, they've got you covered. All products are made by hand in the USA, include free shipping, and have a lifetime warranty. Use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And of course, thank you for supporting the companies that support this show. Let's get into this interview. Today's guest is a professional instructor in the field of defensive tactics, firearms, and executive protection. He's a reserve police officer and has been training in close quarter combatives for over three decades. He's recognized internationally as one of the top combatives and firearms instructors in the world, and his writing has been featured in publications such as Ballistic Magazine, Guns and Weapons Magazine, and Survivor's Edge. Please welcome Fred Masterson to the show. Fred, how are we doing? I'm doing good, suffering the horrible winter here in Phoenix. Oh, you're in Phoenix. Okay. That doesn't sound like suffering yeah. to me. No, no, no. But no, summer's a different story, uh, right? Yeah, that's true. So we, uh, we're we enjoying life right now at a balmy 62 degrees, but 118 is around the corner, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's a dry heat. <laughs> it's a, it's a dry <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I love that. That's what people from Arizona say. Yeah, it's I'm Phoenix say. <laughs> well, yeah. probably Arizona. Yeah, heat is heat, man. I mean, I get it, but woo, that's hot. So. Oh, yeah, it's brutal hot. People people say that I just want to slap a nun sometimes. It's, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say we're out here in New York and uh, it's actually been a very mild winter with the exception of the other day. We had a real, real cold one. But yeah, last been... time we recorded, it was like negative 16. Yeah, it was so cold here. <laughs> so anyway, Fred, uh, you specialize in combatives and executive protection. So let's start out at the beginning here. How did you first get into that line of work? Well, uh, I kind of grew up in it. My father was a lifer in the army, 30 plus years. Um, I followed that. I served for six years, and I taught for the Army for about four and a half years. He was a hand-to-hand instructor as well, box. so I, I just kind of grew up with it. That's what I've always done in my life. Um, when I was young, I started pursuing actual martial arts training, and I've been training the martial arts for about 45 years. So it became a kind of a hand-in-hand type situation. I was drawn towards actual application combatives. And I started, as I said, I taught for the, I actually taught for the 1st Infantry Division, 1st ID up at Fort Riley. And it just kind of grew from there. It started out as just some basic combatives classes and martial arts classes, grew into, you know, national defensive tactics courses and basically what I'm doing today. Was there, can you think back to, was there a a moment where you really felt, I guess this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, I, I think it was honestly back in the um, very early 90s. I'm dating myself here. Um, Don't worry. Real- we'll, we'll help you date yourself. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had an epiphany that, you know, after I, I received another contract to to teach, I'm like, oh, my God, I I think I can actually do this for a living. I'm <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's true. I mean, everybody's thinking, my God, if you, the, the whole cliche, you know, that if you, if you enjoy what you do, you don't work a day in your life. Sure. Well, you do work a day in your life, but it's <laughs> enjoyable work. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. So it was at that time when I was teaching, especially when I was teaching for the army and had a couple of law enforcement contracts, it dawned on me that, um, this could be something I could pursue. And, you know, I jumped in both feet at the same time and, pushed through it and made it happen. Well, those were probably, uh, that was, you were, you were around for a couple of good growth decades, which is always a good thing. So 
after you've, you know, you've been doing this for so long, you know, I, I'm sure you have seen trends come and go. What trends do you miss? And, uh, you know, are there maybe any that you wish never happened? Yeah. The, especially on the farm side of it, because I, I teach farms as well. And, you know, I, once again, back in the day, <laughs> classes would just be booming. I realize there are still some people that still completely fill classes, but firearms training uh, for, for a long time was a very big thing for people in, in the gun community. And even those brand new to the gun community, it became the golf, if you will, of, mm. of the firearms world. There was people going to classes just to do classes and it became, um, it just became the thing that you did on the weekends or, you know, on a, on a long weekend, it became a very enjoyable thing. So I would see students again and again and again and again. And that, that was a, that was a great time. And a lot of instructors like me, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed the boom of that. And uh, it's kind of, it's fallen away a little bit. I, I realize that the cost of ammo and the cost of life in general, getting to and from places, kind of becomes a little bit of a challenge, but I do miss that. I miss the giant classes and uh, the ongoing camaraderie that came from that. Are there, are there any trends in the firearm industry that you just wish never happened? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Give me, give me one shoulder holsters. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Um, I hate to even say this, but the utter fascination and, clinging to micro guns as the new thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny oh, is Lord. we recently had on uh, Clint Smith from Thunder Ranch. Oh, Clint. Yeah. yeah. We asked a similar question. I think he said something like three eighties. Like he, he was kind of along the same line. So I guess you guys are uh, thinking along the same wavelengths. Yeah. So there's a great line about like 25 auto. I, I believe it was Colonel Cooper said it. He says, you got to be careful about using 25 auto because the person you shoot might get mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a, a I mean, he's since passed, but I had an uncle and he used to carry around a, uh, a 25 auto and he, he worked at a gas station. He owned a gas station, actually. He worked at it and then he bought it. And one night he was working and he had it just in his back pocket you know, and just jingling around back there. And he's telling me this story and he goes, yeah, he goes, this guy comes in, he's robbing the store. He, you know, puts me a gunpoint. I give him the money in the register. He turns and he runs and I chase after him and he's running away from me. I'm shooting rounds at him. I said, holy shit. I'm like, you know, I go, it's a good thing. You're a horrible shot. I go, you almost went to jail, Unc. Yeah. Oh my God, how true. Yeah. I said, thank God you were shooting a gun that had no sights and you had no idea what you were doing with it because you could have been in jail. <laughs> well, hell, with that, he probably hit him. Guy just never knew it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. Woke up tomorrow morning with like an itch. That's true. So I'm, we're going to go into a little bit of a deep dive in this later. So I don't want you to go into too much detail, but I am a little bit curious as to where you uh, got into the executive protection side of things. Because we kind of understand your background now and you kind of were born into it in the military, but that's a whole nother sort of area and genre to itself. So how did that happen for you? Yeah, that, um, once again, that was a kind of a late 80s, early 90s gig where I had uh, a gentleman that was working professionally in the industry and he was kind enough to bring me onto a couple gigs, you know, brought me onto a couple of uh, assignments and let me kind of cut my teeth there. And the executive protection world is very close knit um, client wise. So I'm, I'm sure you see lots of people on Facebook or social media, you know, marketing their executive protection business or whatnot. But in all honesty, that's a word of mouth industry. You're going to get your work by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. 
And what happened was I made some connections during that time that turned to other connections that turned into other connections and so on and so on um, to the point where I'm at now. So it's really the, the fortune of having somebody that saw something in me that I didn't see and uh, was kind enough to involve me in it. And uh, here we are today. Very good, cool. Good yeah. thing. Good thing you liked it. <clears throat> oh yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny because the, you know, the, Everybody's seen the bodyguard with Kevin Costner. And they've seen all the shows. Whitney Houston, um, it's a favorite. Jackson Jackson is utterly dull. I mean, it's yeah, it is incredible boredom with the opportunity for just instantaneous yeah. adrenaline dump. Yeah. So it's it's a little fatiguing, but it's it's also very rewarding. Yeah. I I find with jobs like that, uh, I I did a little stint in uh, state corrections. And uh, not not as an inmate. You saw. You saw. I was going to say <laughs> uh, on the other side of the bars. But just to uh, But we used to say the same thing. You know, it's like ninety nine percent just pure boredom, and then one percent of like sheer terror. You know, we used to say that all the time. But those kind of jobs, they're very hard. It's like a very hard job because you have to really mentally. It's hard to stay that Focused. vigilant all the time. You know. And at least in the prison, you almost in some ways couldn't be that vigilant because you would become like paranoid. So you kind of have to toe this line of being able to be awake and aware, but also not like be totally paranoid. Right. It's kind of a hard kind of a hard bag. I, I to- think I, I think that probably goes to say for even just walking around yourself and protecting yourself, you can get over paranoid. Right, yeah, Fred? that's true. Yeah, oh, what do you absolutely. Think of that, it, it can it can ruin you. The you know, the the exhaustion that comes from that. And that's one thing I teach in my executive protection courses. And, and I still, I teach for state department. I teach for DOD. Um, people get real downrange for new embassies. I, in fact, I just finished a course. And the thing I was trying to explain to them was that they need to be aware. They need to be looking around, but there are ways you can do that where it's not so exhausting, where you're not constantly looking for a threat. You know, you're not, you're not looking for the bad guy in the crowd. Now there are ways around that where you can learn to do it. And if you do it in the right way, pretty soon it becomes second nature and it's a little bit easier to do. Yeah. I read one of your articles and one of the things that was brought up about it was uh, the idea that a lot of it is your preparedness, right? Like you prepare ahead of time that eliminates a lot of situations, right? That's absolutely it. I mean, anybody that's really good at their craft, anybody serious in executive protection, they spend 90% of their time preparing and what if it to death. If you have a what if answer for everything or for as much as you can, you're much better off. And there's a reason why I've done this for so long and never had to present a weapon. I mean, I've, I've had to touch people. We've had a little hand-to-hand, little little love fest from time to time, um, but it's normally with a drunk person or something. <laughs> yeah. But if you prepare, if you are planned out and you know what you're doing, you can avoid conflict, which is the ultimate goal because your client doesn't want that. You want to yeah. lose a job in a hurry? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Be a, yeah. Be, a, be a tough guy. Yep. Yeah. You know, when we were preparing for the show – it was really interesting to kind of go down the rabbit hole looking into your uh, multiple writings. You know, I mean, you've written on a multitude of topics and, you know, it spans a good number of years. We could talk for hours about uh, all the fun hardware and guns and gear and toys that we want to purchase. But where do you recommend people start and then progress to when they're collecting those soft skills that are required to become a better personal defender because everyone, you know, everyone wants to talk about the hardware, but without the software, without the training, without the mental attitude, without the, the preparation, as we just talked about, that hardware isn't going to do you any good. So where do you recommend people start and then move on from that point? You know, that's a very good point. The software is really where everything happens. Um, 
even even in law enforcement. I mean, police officers are going to put hands on somebody 80 million times long before they even get the point where they're forced to present a gun. So in regards to open hand training or physical training, I'm not a giant fan of any one system. My primary background are in the Aiki arts, like Aiki Jitsu, Aiki Budo. I've done a lot of sword for, for a long, long time. And there's no one perfect martial art. There's just not. Um, but what I would encourage people to do is to look at applicable training. What I mean by that is you find somewhere that trains. Two, there's two things connected to that. One, you go there, you visit with the instructor, and you watch several classes, and you see if it's something that you would enjoy. That's important because if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to train there for long. And pretty soon you're – you're back to watching reruns of MASH on TV and eating pizza. <laughs> so it sounds like you think you think the combatives is a big part of that software, but like, what about other skills besides that? The like medical training, for instance, is that something that maybe should be a top priority? What are some other areas? Yeah, in fact, yeah, that's a good point. I see you're headed on this. So yeah, there are multiple soft skills. One, martial arts training, of course, and on a side note to that too, and I'm not just talking about just hand-to-hand stuff. I'm talking about a serious school where they're going to talk about things like threat avoidance, um, de-escalation, things like this. And there's a lot of schools right now, all they do is beat the crap out of each other. And, I mean, you can get your brother and do that. <laughs> find, a, find a serious school that will teach you the entire gambit of conflict management. Soft skills beyond that, medical skills are a huge deal. A huge deal. One is it puts you in a category in the, in the protection realm where if you bring the ability to, to offer, you know, first responder type services, um, it plates you very well in that industry. That's a good point. Yeah. Do you, so you've been around long enough that I'm sure the term verbal judo rings a bell, correct? Oh, very much so. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like one of those things. So for those that don't know, uh, that term is basically uh, what you had mentioned earlier, but like de-escalation skills, right? The, the ability yeah. to kind of talk your way out of a situation. Yeah, very much so. Verbal judo is still a great program. I yep. mean... It's not as not as hip anymore or whatever, um, but it's still a fantastic program. And, and the ability to to navigate relations, you know, or or deal with people as as events go on, it's it's critical. You know, it's really weird. Is something I that I talk extensively to new people in regards to soft skill, and that is culture. Now, what I mean by that is you have to be a well as much as you can a well well read a well-rounded person as much as you can. And what I mean that mean by that is have a, have a grip of music, not just what your current flavor of the day is, but understand, try to get a flavor of all music because your customer, your client may have an interest in classical music. And if you could speak to that, even basically, that makes sense too. Um, understand things like art, understand wine, understand whiskey, understand cigars, because the more you can integrate and interact with your client on different topics, once again, it puts you in a good place and also builds a bond between you and the client. And that's for executive protection that you're referring to, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Mike kind of said, uh, you know, you've, you've had a lot of different articles out there and, and you joked about being around for a long time. And I said, you know, we weren't, we, we were going to talk about your age a few times. So there was an article that I had read from 2013 that you had wrote, which isn't all that long ago. But it's uh, just gotten to that 10-year mark, and it was about, it was in Guns and, and Tactics, and uh, it was a top 10 
your top 10 points for rifle selections. So my question is, now that it's 10 years old, uh, what's changed on that list? Is Or do you remember the list? I, I can remind you if you need some help. Well, you definitely need to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, I got it right here. Uh, 10 points, which were choose solid manufacturer. Um, yeah. Unless you have a, a mission specific reason, go with a 16 inch barrel. Choose something that shoots 5.56 and 2.23. A collapsible stock. Choose a flat top optic ready rifle. And then mount a professional optic. And then backup iron sights. Good yep. sling. Attach a light, uh, preferably with a temporary on off as well as an on. And uh, reliable P mags, not the metal bullshit ones. I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> well, it's, stand- it's aged like a fine wine. I mean, the fundamentals of, of a solid rifle, regardless of the time frame, you know, are still true. I still like the certain things, especially, you know, like the classical sock and things like this allows me to move the gun in closer quarters. I say a 16 inch barrel because, you know, it's, it's an NFA thing, you know, in all honesty, if you're willing to put in the effort, and I hate to say this because it pisses me off, but you know, SBR a gun. Yeah. yeah. Most people are going to run that rifle as an indoor, as a personal defense weapon. Um, my personal home gun is a 10 and a half inch SBR. I, I had read an article kind of to piggyback on Keith's here that talked about, you know, like a lot of guys there, they want a pistol or a shotgun for their home defense gun. And we have live in a, we have a precarious situation here in New York where there's a lot of things that you have to consider legal wise, but I've always felt that, uh, a rifle does offer some opportunities and you know i've i've heard the the, the the debate of well the shotgun is sending multiple projectiles so if you add all those projectiles up it's you know it's, it's like having a 30 round mag <laughs> but you know it's it's still not going to take care of uh, multiple assailants it's you know i mean it's not going to do that like 30 rounds is a lot right so there's that and there's the pinpoint accuracy of a rifle and so there are some advantages to a rifle no doubt about it yeah every in fact every platform has got their pluses and minus i'm a I mean, I'm not going to be shy. I'm a shotgun junkie. I mean, yeah. my God. Me too. So, yeah, the whole idea of uh, double-up bucks, I get nine 32 caliber pellets going into there my subject. Um, that's a fight stopper. That yep. is a – rare is the person that can take more than one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking to a guy the other day at my gym, and he was like, hey, I'm thinking about getting a new gun. I, I, I had one years ago, but I'm not really a gun guy. And I was like, well, what do you want it for? And he said, well, home defense. And I said, tell me a little bit about your, your house and where you live and this and that. And he said, I don't know, you know, the pistol permit process is so long. I said, just get a shotgun, man. And he was like, oh, yeah. he's like, really? I'm like, listen, I said, I love nine millimeter, you know, like that's like my pistol caliber of choice. I said, but guys will take a nine millimeter and keep on fighting. I said, you hit someone with a shotgun, double out buck. I was like, it's like, you know what? Just call the coroner. <laughs> you know, it's over. Exactly. It's as I say, you know, the, the we, we use the term stopping power and we're, when it's with a handgun, it just makes me cringe. Yeah. Because, like you said, so many people can soak up rounds and, and yeah. stay in the fight. But with shotgun, it's the, the the term stopping power is for real. And you alluded to a great point, and that is so true. It really it's dependent upon so many things. Well, I may be, um, you know, may let's say that my primary is a shotgun. Let's just say that that's that's true. Well, that may not be yours, you know. So, what's going to be your best? Maybe it is a handgun. Maybe you spend enough time. It's really a personal preference. Where you live, I mean, if you live in a trailer with with foam walls and, right. and tin walls, rifle's probably not going to be your thing. You right. might want to think about a shotgun. Right. But if you live in a uh, mansion and you're, you have 80 feet down the hallway, yeah, you might need a rifle. 
Right. Yeah. This, it's, obviously, everything is mission specific, right? That's always, oh, yeah, always the it. case. So I want to change gears a little bit here. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Jack Carr uh, stuff. And, you know, I watched the Terminal List uh, movie that he put out on Amazon and it was great. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the constant visuals that Jack uh, used in his movie, and it's even a big part of his personal brand, is the iconic Winkler sack tomahawk. Yep. And you, first off, it is a badass looking tomahawk. (laughs) And you, uh, I mean, guys downrange are using those. You know, there's guys in special operations that carry those around. And you wrote an article all about the fighting tomahawk. But even you admit that not a lot of guys, especially uh, if they're not in a sandbox somewhere, uh, they're not walking around with a tomahawk on their belt. So how do you envision this being useful in the hierarchy of self-defense weapons? Well, for a carry, it's very difficult to do simply because it's a tomahawk. Yeah, right. (laughs) Of course, of course. What you going to do? Well, I've seen people mount them on the backs of their belts underneath the shirt. Oh. um, Which I thought was pretty damn slick. Yeah, that sounds cool. They practiced deploying it because it had a uh, kydex sheath Mm -hmm. for um, for the head. Yeah. And then basically a quick break retention strap for the handle and and then isn't that a little bit like the handle i feel like it would be sticking straight out the right hand side of you you know well i'm trying to envision it is it like kind of going parallel to the spine or along the spine that's what it was it was was, um no it was a parallel to the to the to the belt line line. oh okay okay yeah seems so it would be big stuck in the car for long periods of time yeah Yeah. Um, but it looked cool so the challenge we face on a tom offer an edc is just where we're going to carry it it's just In reality, it's not going to happen. Yeah, no. So I, I really don't envision it being something you're going to carry on your belt. Like I, that, that, <laughs> that is not like I, I was uh, sort of joking about that. But uh, like some things you had mentioned is like it could be a tool you might keep in your car, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I keep one in my car. <laughs> do you now? Is yeah, that is it, car, not for not specifically for personal protection? Okay, but as a general chop through anything type tool. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I was trying to think, I'm like, if you had one in your car, like, is there a potential use for it in a self-defense situation? And I was like, I guess there could be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I suppose, um, it's better to have something in reach than nothing. Right. So like maybe, maybe you go to pick your kid up from practice and you see, uh, you know, your wife gets out and someone's just starts tuning her up and for whatever reason you have a gun on you. Well, I don't want to have something near me. You know, that brings up a good point, too. You know, there are certain um, communist strongholds around the country where you're not going to be able to carry a gun. You're not going to be able to have one. Yeah. And I always encourage you to carry a weapon of some kind, be it a knife or right. or whatever. And in the right hands, a tomahawk is devastating. Yeah. I mean, it is – it. you know, we talk about, once again, fight stopper. Yeah, you catch somebody across the side of the neck with a tomahawk and it's yeah. over, Jack. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Another good point, because we do live behind uh, enemy lines here in New York. And so yeah. that's a really good example. We go to a, uh, let's say we go to a local high school football game where you can't have a gun on property there. Um, and so, you know, if, God forbid, you got jumped in a parking lot and you grabbed that tomahawk, you could easily make the argument, hey, it's part of my camping stuff. I just had a- to, to really, oh, yeah. really practice that what you're saying there, though, you got to wear it. On your belt. No, I'm, well, some, I'm saying maybe like you know, you're in reach of your car is what I'm saying. Yeah, like in a parking lot. In that example of a football game, you're four quarters on a bleachers with a bunch of I, Yeah, I'm saying more so. of a parking lot situation. Okay. I'm just saying when you're near your car. Obviously, uh, you know, we're having a little fun with this here, but um, oh, sure. I, I don't expect to 
Keith to walk around with a tomahawk. I, I'm trying to think about how I can do this now. I'm you like, want one? <laughs> they're, they're really cool. They're, he has them up on the you big. You make it happen. You, you design another rig for that. And, uh, yeah. Well, you're why You're a big I, guy. Yeah, yeah. I could you probably, maybe could uh, do I, it. I might be able to. I never it. could do it. The tomahawk yeah. would be bigger than me. Fred, so. another another article that I had come across that I enjoyed reading was a popular mechanics uh, article that you uh, had done a, a while back on a, be a first responder to ten disasters. Oh yeah, and uh, you you had the home invasion uh, portion of the ten, and I, you know you talked about in there you know most home invasions uh, the instances are the, the criminal are, are they're desperate and they run away before or are any indication that someone's home. Uh, but how can our listeners prepare for the times where, you know, the criminal has no intention of fleeing? Well, I, I hate to say this to this sound like a, uh, you know, gloom and doom person, but things have changed a little bit. The, the times where criminals were quick in and out, I mean, that still exists. It, it still does. But the occurrences of violent home invasions where they don't care if somebody's home or not, those those have been on the rise. Okay. And it's, a, it's a disturbing trend. And what I encourage people to do is to prepare. You have a home, you have a emergency plan at home. Normally, if you have a fire, you got a plan. What do we do if we have a fire? You talk, talk to your kids, talk to your spouse. We go out and meet by the oak tree, and this is what we do. Um, what if you have a home invasion? You got to have a plan. And I, I teach people, for the most part, if you're inside the house, to secure yourself. You need to make make yourself a very hard target. Get inside of a room. Um, barricade yourself, get your firearm because you need a firearm to defend yourself in your home if you're able to, and get your butt on 911. The only time I, I encourage people to go out, you know, quote unquote, clearing the house or moving through the house is if they're children. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's very difficult, especially for guys to do. Well, I want to go clear the house. The only way to safely clear a house is to have somebody else do it or artillery. That's the only safe way to clear a house. <laughs> And if you can hunker down and wait it out and let them take what they take and get the hell out and call 911, uh, you're going to be better off. And that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But if they push the fight, they bring it to you, then it's all on at that point. Yeah, I've had a couple. I've mentioned on the show a few times, but I've had a couple false alarms, meaning my um, <clears throat> my alarm in my home went off. Your onion went bad. My onion, yeah. So we'll get to the onion <laughs> in a second. And so um, the one time where we actually deployed PD uh, because it was a it was a, a sensor that doesn't normally go off and it turned out to be a faulty sensor. My kids are down the hall and so I basically covered the stairway while my wife kind of went and gathered the kids into one room and then we all kind of uh, rendezvoused to the uh, to that room and waited for PD to, to come out. Uh, so that was the only time that I've ever like left my stronghold to your point because I had kids that I had to get to. But I've... <laughs> And I, I'm going to preface it by saying we've had a couple times like a sensor goes or a garage door gets blown open from wind and it knocks come, the sensor. I come over and knock and trying to break it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, like, you know, I don't hear any movement. I don't hear anybody, you know, I'm yelling, hey, anybody down there? And I'm like, I'm going to clear that. I, I say clear the house. I'm doing it in air quotes here. Like, I, oh, sure. like I'm going to go kind of check in and just make sure we're safe and then we're going to go back to bed. And I have to tell you, that is a scary, even with me going, like, I really don't think there's anybody here going around every corner and like, like waiting, for, like trying to, you know, get the light switch on. Like it's a freaky experience. Like it really is. If you, if it ever happens and you have to move through your house thinking there's someone there, it is. A, I'm like, 
I'm like, just be smart and keep your finger off the trigger and don't pop around off through the wall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. a, it's a really nerve wracking experience. So yeah. It's horrifying. And you know, I tell people if you play, if you develop an emergency plan and then walk through it. Yep. And is my, I actually have a, a lot of clients that I've done this in, in years past. So I've helped them develop a plan. You know, what if somebody breaks in, how are you going to get down the hall? And we'll go through it. We'll go through it. We'll talk about it. We go through it in the daylight. Um, and then night comes and I come back out and we get an airsoft gun, just an airsoft gun in their hands. And we have them walk through their house in the middle of the night or when it's dark and actually practice this. And you're going to find out real quick in every how many nooks and crannies and dark corners there are in your house as soon yeah. as you start doing that. And I actually had a uh, a mother just collapse in tears. She was just more of just terrified yeah. at how difficult it was because she had to go back and get her four-year-old daughter. Mm. So once again, people don't realize sometimes how difficult it is. And it's kind of a cliche thing to say, I want to clear the house. Well, you, you stub your toe on the coffee tail in the middle of the day. What are you going to do in the middle of the night? It's going to be ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When your nerves are uh, rattling around on you. Oh, yeah. You're in your, you got your, got your Superman underwear on trying to get around that corner safely. Yeah. <laughs> I have one bedroom on, on the first floor, and I always tell guests, I'm like, listen, if somebody breaks in, you're on your own because yeah. I'm not coming down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so Keith kind of uh, hit on the uh, the home stuff. Uh, you had an article, and, and I have a couple of these articles uh, in the show notes for people to go kind of look around on, but your article, 10 Tips for Fighting Around a Car, was very, very well done. And there's a couple places you spend a lot of time, right? And you spend a lot of time in a home, and you spend a lot of time in a car. So yeah. I thought that these were good parallels here. Uh, in general, what fighting gear do you recommend people keep in their vehicle? Drive a tank. <laughs> <laughs> drive a tank yeah kill dozer <laughs> well first off of course you know we're gonna talk about again you yep. need a firearm if at all possible uh you need a med kit absolutely need a med kit you need a flashlight because we spend a lot of time in our car at, at night and then beyond that you know just gear wise um i carry a blade of course i carry a, mm-hmm. a tomahawk type thing i keep it carry multi-tools I'm also carrying on the for on the self care thing. I carry additional tourniquets. Mm, okay, yeah, we just got medical training, Keith and I, and I I have an IFAC. I still need to add a few more things to it, but a pretty decent um, <clears throat> kit in my car now. It's right in my console, very easy to get to, and I can rip it and run with it if I need to. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, but uh, this is what I always debate. I've been getting into this a lot lately. Any thoughts on? possibly having body armor kept in your vehicle oh absolutely i mean i'm not gonna lie it's no secret i carry body armor in my vehicle absolutely because i always i'm like i'm like when would when would i deploy that you know it's like seems like something that would be good to keep in a vehicle but i just not sure where i might actually need to use it i mean you probably use it for work a lot yeah so obviously when i work i, I wear body armor um i very very light you know 3a stuff that's stab resistant but for for vehicle use I mean, you, my God, you can carry whatever you want. You know, this whole 4A stuff, good luck getting that on. Because <laughs> what I would encourage people to do for body armor is make sure that you can put it on while you're in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. So don't put it in the trunk. Right. Keep it in your vehicle. I mean, in the vehicle. Because if you are in the situation that I've, in fact, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in a class. If you're in the middle of LA, let's say, and there's a riot going on, or they're stopping traffic and beating cars and, you know, it's obviously getting hyper-violent. 
reach back behind your seat on that little bag that you keep hanging on the back of your driver's seat, pull out your body armor, put it on. Yeah. I mean, years ago, I was my uh, daughter uh, didn't live in my home, and I was driving out to get her. And it was in like rural Pennsylvania, and I'm driving out there, and halfway there, her mom calls and says, you know, you might want to turn around. And I said, what, what do you mean? She said, there's a, a guy that uh, he went and shot up the state police barracks and now he's on the loose and he's right in, you know, he's right in this vicinity. And I says, well, I'm not going to turn around. I said, I'm coming to get my daughter and I'm taking her with me. But I was like, that would have been a time where I might have considered throwing that on, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, getting, getting, having a little extra protection. So you never yeah, know. I, I believe, I believe it's a good idea. And some people think it's extreme. It's too far. Well, you you do you, and uh, I'll do me with my body armor. Uh, one thing I will say about body armor, buy, and I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody, but buy for real body armor. Um, the steel stuff, I realize, is, is it's 35 cents. It's it's very inexpensive. Um, but I'm not that big of a fan. Once again, I'm not trying to – I realize if someone's got no budget and they absolutely need body armor, it, it, it'll do okay. But spalling on – metal plates is just terrifying to me it's uh it's scary i mean i have some steel plates to you know first set i ever had gotten for some of the reasons you described but it yeah. is scary to think that that's uh yeah. you know all someone might have um <clears throat> you also have written an article called uh gunfight science uh, concealed in plain sight and it's a little more recent when when we were taught when i was thinking about talking to you tonight and and some of the articles that i wanted to mention this was one because I felt that this is an article that I could recommend to any new concealed carry person to read. Um, if you've ever listened to the show, Fred, I'm uh, pretty, you know, pretty open on the idea of open carry uh, in certain times. If if I was given that right, I do live in a state that requires uh, carrying concealed. The few times that uh, these days, I feel like Mike, we're not able to even do that uh, anymore. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember why you wrote that article? Was it for new gun owners? Yeah, very much for very much so for new gun owners. Uh, in fact, most of the pieces I write in regards to training and um, firearm ideology is really get, I, I steer those towards new to newer gun owners, those entering the the firearms world. Well, you you talked about the first thing you talked about was find the right gun. Oh, very much so. So how you know <laughs> talk talk our listeners kind of through that, and and then we'll we'll. Go, go through some of the other ones that you mentioned. Sure. So choosing your first firearm is a very critical and very personal thing. Um, there's a couple of things that have to happen. The gun has to fit you well. Your gun has to fit you well. So some people, well, Glock fits them well. Okay, well, maybe a SIG fits you well. It doesn't matter what the clerk is saying. You need to try... In any major manufacturer, I want you to really try and put that gun in your hand and see how it feels. Does it feel balanced? Does it feel natural? Um, beyond that, get yourself in a safe place. Point the gun in a safe area. Leave it there. Then close your eyes and leave there for a second. Then open your eyes back up and see where it's pointed now. This is where the grip angle really matters. Yeah. The grip angle in the Glock is a little bit different. Um, than what we find on like a 1911 or maybe a Smith that's at a 22-degree angle. And some people find that it's a little bit more of a challenge to aim. So I get a lot of people, brand-new shooters with Glocks that have a little bit of a challenge. I can shoot the hell out of Glock. I, I, I can shoot it really well, so it's not a big deal to me. But you need to find, again, that points naturally for you, that fits good in your hands. And I'm a big fan of shooting the biggest gun you can um, manageably. 
Yeah, we, so, we've heard that. We've heard that a few times from. Yeah, and I've I've yeah. notoriously been a subcompact. I'm I'm a smaller frame guy, but I've recently moved to a, a compact. I have to say, I do really enjoy. You're having, shooting it better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, a there's a couple things. You know, that's a very good point. You know, there's a couple things connected to that. Subcompacts are incredibly easy to conceal. Yeah, very easy to conceal. No, I mean that's why they exist. Right. When you train with the subcompact over a long period of time, like you spend an entire day on a range with the subcompact, <laughs> you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy about it. <laughs> but what we find is that people just don't. What I've found from experience is that people don't train with their subcompact guns nearly as much as they do with a compact or maybe even a full size gun. Yeah. And that translates to accuracy and ability to fight with the gun. I, I've been carrying full size now for uh, for a few, couple months and uh, I'm doing okay. I'm happy with it. And that brings me to the next point that you had made, which is the right holster. Oh, super critical. That's the only way I'm able to carry a full size. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's very true. And back, you know, back, back in the olden days, you know, the, everything was leather and that's cool. There's some phenomenal, there's some phenomenal leather out there, but leather takes a lot of maintenance and you got to really watch it. There is about a billion different holster companies out there right now making some really good gear but they are each of them a little bit different. So make sure that you find a rig that fits you well. Once again, not what your buddy likes. Uh, this is where the challenge lies with holsters too, because it's not like you can go try them on. If you get a if you get a big store, big gun shop, they may have different rigs you actually try on. But there's some things I really encourage people to look at, like the edges of the holster. Did the company take time to tumble it? Did they? Did they radius all the edges? Did they take all the all the ninety degree corners off of it? Because if they didn't, you're going to find them. Oh yeah. When you're carrying that gun, you're carrying it in the, in the heat of summer, and you're all of a sudden you start cursing and you're hating everybody because your holster is cutting into your abdomen. Yeah, you got no undershirt because it's uh you know exactly you know ready to slap a nun as you said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then that actually goes to the next part that uh, part of this. So thank you for doing such a good job at segueing into these uh, is clothing. Uh, you know th- this was something as I'm reading the article, I'm like, man, I kind of had to figure this out on the own. Where was Fred when I needed this? <laughs> <laughs> well. You got to dress around the gun. You you dress for the gun, and ladies are the ones I have just, I mean, uh, ultimate empathy for because it's a challenge. You know, us. I mean, we can throw a baggy shirt over and jeans, and we don't yeah. care. It yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, for most ladies, they don't have that option. Um, we talk about you know once again just kind of go back to some compact and medium frame guns and full size. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine. She's a writer as well, and. She's petite. She's small. She carries a Glock 19. Do do she carry it on body or does she carry it off? On body. Wow. On body. Yeah. Carries a Glock 19. It's awesome. Um, Appendix? What's that? Appendix carry? No, she carries it about 2 o'clock. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, once again, finding the right rig and make sure that it is, you know, Especially with a gun like that, you got the right angle, got the, you know, it's seated where it needs to be seated. Uh, but you got to dress around the gun. So that may mean that you buy your pants a little bit bigger than normal, that your shirts are a little bit bigger than normal. And as I said, you know, for ladies, it's a, lot, a little bit more of a challenge, which is why off body carry for ladies is so popular. Because it makes it dramatically easier to carry a gun. Dude. A lot of challenges with that. And I'm not going to you know, go too far into that rabbit hole, but I encourage people to carry on body. And even ladies, I hate to say this, you're going to punch me in the eye when you see me, 
but you need to buy your clothes baggy enough to where you can wear a wear a gun underneath it. Do you consider fanny packs on body? I, it's funny you were going <laughs> to say that. Right? <laughs> Keith and I have been Keith and I have been testing out some some cool little fanny packs, and it's not not our normal jam. But <laughs> get you do some uh, white high top socks and some uh, Converse shoes. It brings me to kind of one more point on the on the clothing, and then we'll get to the last point, which is obviously going to be practice. I hope everyone knew that, but. My question about this clothing part is, are there times where it's, I don't, it's never, the preferred method is always on body, right, Fred? But is there times where off body, if it makes sense, you know, makes sense, makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, that's a very good point. It it really is. Um, Especially for ladies, you know, because, you know, wearing a, wearing a skirt or, you know, whatever the fashion is of the day, sometimes it's just not going to happen. Right. Just not going to happen. So an off-body carry can happen, but when we do that, or for guys too, you know, if you're going to do that, make sure that whatever you're carrying that gun in is two things: secured to your body. So, so fanny, if it's a purse, fanny pack is sure, in. Yeah, <laughs> the fanny pack is in. <laughs> if it's a purse, make sure it's cross-body carry. Okay, okay. you can't just let it dangle on the shoulder because purse snatchers are a real thing. Right, and yeah. they snatch your purse. You got your phone, your wallet, and your gun. All I'm think all I'm thinking about Keith is our our buddy Pink shirt was here and he's telling us that he goes to the beach and I'm going you know you go to the beach it's like a pretty it's a pretty rough day for a for a gun guy he goes I carry on the beach I'm like where do you carry where do you, what do you go swimming with and he goes I wear a shoulder holster I'm like I I all I picture is him on the beach with a shoulder holster with Don no John, shirt on Don Johnson running around <laughs> oh my god oh my oh, god man. he's a, he's a great guy but he's funny. Well, so the last part is obviously practice. I don't. I don't think we. You know. Uh, uh, well, go not, do it. <laughs> yeah, it's not something we yeah. shouldn't talk about. But I think we've. Uh, everybody knows what you got to do in that sense. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about it a lot. The show. So, so Fred, we're we're gonna move on to some stuff here. But where where is the best places to direct people to find your content and and everything you guys are doing? Well, I'm fortunate because as you guys have been kind of alluded to, I write a lot. <laughs> um, what started out is just one article for a friend at a magazine. Is I just um, early this year I pinned my thousandth article. Wow, so that's crazy. I'm there. You can pretty much find me anywhere. I primarily write for Athlon Outdoors, so Ballistic Magazine, Personal Defense World, Tactical Life, and you can find all those on on online. Okay, great. So uh, we are going to uh, play Run and Gun with you today. We we do have records for this, so you know you, if, you're, if you're if you're quick draw, you can uh, you can take the record home with you. Excellent. All right. Keith, you got the timer up? Ready. Here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Mossberg 590A1. What gun would you buy if money was no object? H&K PSG1. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Ernest Hemingway. Favorite caliber? 9mm. Favorite hobby not gun related? Reading. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flight. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Shotgun. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Colonel Cooper. Let's mix it up. Keith is giving a very positive look. Where are we at? He was chasing down Frank, um, but he's uh, he ended up number two. Oh, <laughs> man, how close? Uh, 
Frank is still up by three seconds. So 39-4. Oh, that's flying. Yeah. yeah. There was that one question. I forget which one the it was. La- the last one cost him about a second and a half. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, yeah. yeah there's a lot of people. Uh, on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we are going to take a deep dive into how to implement executive protection principles into civilian life. And before we do that, Let's Mix It Up is brought to us by our brand new sponsor, Ridgeline Defense. Ridgeline is one of the nation's premier training facilities and offers programs based on proven tactics and real-world experience. Their highly trained staff specializes in pistol, carbine, precision rifle, breaching, sniper operations, and low-visibility force protection. If you're looking to take your skills to the next level, you've found your new training partner. Check them out at RidgelineShooting.com. Um, so let's start off. When you're working in executive protection, you're dealing with a principal, right? The, the, the person that is your main objective to protect. So yep. uh, in, in an, I would assume the average person, that's probably your family, right? It could be your kids, could be your wife if you don't have kids. but yeah, it's they're, pr- they're my client. A girlfriend, right? But that's pretty much the principal in most people's lives is your significant others that you uh, plan to protect, right? You'd agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely true. Absolutely true. So- Take us through this. Well, for the for the most part, you know, it's interesting because in my in the course that I teach, the Dignity Protection course, you'd be surprised at how many people that come to that course have no intention of ever working in the industry. They want the executive protection skills to apply just to that to their family. So the the first thing we talk about, and this is kind of in as the course slows along, is is awareness. And we joke about that; it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but awareness is critical. And it's, it's complete awareness. So when we're looking around, it's exhausting to be looking around for the bad guy and you stand out. It's obvious that your head's moving around and you're, you're searching. But if you do it in a way as if you're looking for maybe somebody you know, in a little bit more relaxed fashion, um, it's less noticeable to people around you. It's less fatiguing to you. And it's easier for it to become second nature. Um, additionally, on that awareness – is awareness, complete awareness of your environment. This is something I would I did with my kids when they're young too, is you go in and you park at the big box store and you get out and you walk a little bit. And I'd ask them real quick, hey, what color was the car next to us? Uh, what what kind of car was it? Who was there anybody in those cars? It's it's really kind of conditioning to look beyond just the, the car window or two feet in front of them. So that that type of awareness is really, really critical. Yeah, and pe- also the idea that you're really looking down the road, too. So we're normally aware um, just beyond the hood of our car. We may see the car in front of us, maybe the bumper of the car in front of them. But if we're looking way down the road, it allows us to avoid conflict, avoid danger. And that, that applies to everything inside of executive protection. While we use the car as an example, you know, if you see an accident way down there, you get off at this exit and, and avoid the conflict. If I'm with a client and I'm moving through a club and I see a fight breaking out way over near the way over near the bar, well, we're going to turn around before we can get close to it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, that, that, that advice with the reference of the car is a really good one. I, my dad did that to me for me when I was learning to drive. And I think that's a big part of why I live so much in the reality of what's going on around me. And, you know, he always, he always taught as you were driving, you know, every couple of seconds, where are you going to put the car? If something jumps out in front of you, you know, or, uh, 
the same thing as what you said, Fred, you know, what car just, uh, did you just pass? What color was it? Things like that. And it was conditioning and it's turned into an everyday lifestyle for me. Um, and it's gone way beyond just driving a car like you're talking about. So those are great examples. of One of the things someone told me a long time ago, and I have to say, I am not in a good practice of it. I I know it's a good practice, but I just don't do it is if you're getting in a vehicle, your vehicle, uh, in a parking lot situation that one of the things you should do is you should look in the back window before you get in, but I never do it. And I know I should, but I never, oh, do absolutely. It. I look absolutely. Out. That, that is a, that, that is a um, thousand year horror story for a lot of people in my courses, especially on the LE side of it. When I do it for law enforcement agencies, because I've got one gentleman that he's one of my uh, assistants and he helps with a lot of these classes. He's fairly small framed and he can fit on the floor of a car in the back seat. Okay. Wow. So these officers will be escorted into client because we'll be doing simulations and they'll walk up and they'll do the good look and, you know, they're looking around and then the, the person that's actually with the, with the client opens the back door and Alan springs up <laughs> and all break loose, you know, and then there's okay. Ceasefire stop. And, you know, let's reset. Or on their face when he pops up, like two things. One is a surprise, and the two is, damn it, I missed it. Now I'm going to hear all about it. <laughs> I picture that Ace Ventura 2 scene where the guy jumps out of the back of uh, the, the guy in the scene. You know the one I'm no. talking about? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the guy's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So what about you were saying earlier, we were discussing the idea that before you get into a problem, that there's that planning phase, right? That if you if you plan well enough, you really can avoid 99% of problems. So what are some things in terms of planning that you would recommend? Well, you need to look for a way out in, in wherever you go. Yep. Be it be it Walmart, be it the mall, be it the be it the the restaurant. We you gotta have a way out in case something happens, be it a fire, be it whatever. While the door you just came in is an obvious exit. Yep. Well, it's the obvious exit for everybody in the damn restaurant, too. Right. So then you're looking around, and you're like, well, if something happened, where would I get out? And sometimes it's not always obvious. Right. What I teach people to do is literally get up, walk back, walk back into the kitchen. Yep. I mean, walk directly back into the kitchen and look around. And they're going to eventually, somebody will eventually question you. Can I help you? You know, oh, I'm just looking for the restroom. Oh, it's just around the corner. Well, right. in that moment, you, you got to look at the back door. Yep. Is it is it easy for me to get through that door? Because if I'm with a client, that's where we're going. It's funny you say that, Fred, because I went to a New Year's dinner and, and you actually went in the kitchen <laughs> looking for the bathroom. <laughs> no, I no. So I went to a New Year's dinner and it was a restaurant in uh, Montgomery. I'd never been there before. And we were meeting like a, a couple like couples, you know, yeah. and, and and their father and their mother and like, you know, and the the first thing I did was I went to the bathroom. I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom because I wanted to kind of scope out what was beyond my table. But yep. the the, uh, the old joke used to be like in the comedies, they would sit people next to the next to the kitchen, you know, yeah. and they'd get all mad. Now you want I, it? <laughs> I like being near the kitchen. I'm yeah. always like, yeah, I know that there's at least there's knives in there. There's you know, it's it's a good place to be. I want to be near boiling the kitchen. water. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's funny how you you change when you become a little more awakened to this stuff. Yeah, I find myself definitely always 
you know, naturally not wanting to sit with my back to the front exit. Yeah, that, that's that, like a big thing. That's a natural thing, though. Like I, people, it, it is. I, I don't it know is. that anyone ever taught me to do that. It's just an. It was just natural for me yeah. to not want to sit with my back. I hate when I walk in a place. Like my wife knows. Like when we go oh, in, yeah, my, she, my wife too. knows. But what's funny is that I hate when I go with someone else and like they beat me to it, or like I'm meeting them yeah. there and I'm like, damn it. I'm they like, either have the same spidey senses or don't know. Right. <laughs> Either way, I don't yeah, like it. You know, that's the truth too. I've got friends like that, and we play that game. They try to sprint over there. I'm like, get your butt up. <laughs> well, you that's can you can throw team. the experience you know card it. down. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're not even carrying a gun. Get your butt over there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So what else you got for us? Anything else that we can implement? Well, um, once again, once you once you're out, where are you going to go? You know, what's your plan after that? Okay, I'm outside the restaurant. Or well, where are you going to go? Where's your car? How far away did you park? How are you going to get to it? You know, because if it's a if it's a really bad event, it could be could be local, could be the entire downtown. So, what's your exit plan after that? So, we work in concentric rings. How am I going to get away from the table? How am I going to get out of the restaurant or establishment? How am I going to get away from that entire area? And where am I going to go after that? You know, I had a, a proud moment. I text you this, Mike, this week uh, on this. My my daughter, <laughs> uh, Fred, started to describe a to go bag, but she wasn't. She didn't know to call it a to go bag. Yeah. Oh, so nice. I'm like, well, I must be doing something right. I I certainly can do better. I'm not trying to say I'm anywhere near prepared as the, some of the things we're talking about tonight, but I definitely had that moment where I was like, yeah, she she's right. Let's get on this. We need some to go <laughs> Very bags. Nice. Very <laughs> nice. Encourage that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Anytime that they, your kids start to get it, it clicks yeah. is a cool moment. Yeah. I sure. know you've had a couple moments like that yeah. too. Yeah. My son was building a pillow for it the other day and he said, dad, I, I have a security system in it. <laughs> I, said, oh. I said, all right, good job. son." Fantastic. Yeah. Actually you wrote, yeah, this is going a little off topic here, but you wrote an article about, um, like fortifying your home sort so to speak. And, uh, Keith joking, jokingly said earlier about the onion. I, I call my house the onion because you know, a security has layers, right? Layers oh, of security. Yeah. But I was reading it and I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, I mean, it was like you, like the words were coming like out of my head and onto the paper, like everything you were saying, it was like, you know, security system, trim the bushes, uh, you know, having motion lights and all these different things. And I'm like, man, I'm like, this is, this is cool to kind of read it and, feel like, all right, I think I've done some of this right, you know? I mean, you know, and you're bringing up a point, I guess, to get, I'll bring it back on topic a little bit, but if you're fortunate enough to live in a neighborhood where you are can be close with your neighbors, right, yeah. and be able to know that you have places to go and, and support around you. Well, it sounds like when you're, when you're we're talking about implementing these ideas, it's the idea of, you know, observing is, is key, right? That's the, that's the first thing is you should be aware of what's going on at all be, times. Be in reality, be in the time. From there, it's, you know having exit strategies, having plans beyond those exit strategies. So it, yep. a lot of it is really common sense, right? But I think people just, a lot of people need to kind of um, turn the switch on, right? Like you yeah, gotta turn that that's a on. great way to say it too. If I would say anything, especially in regards to, you know, being essentially being your own bodyguard is start slow, start simple. It can, it can be overwhelming. I know that. Um, but start with just being aware of where you're parking, you know, think about where, things like, where am I going to park? Where's the best place to park? Well, you know, weigh it. What what could happen if I park here? I mean, it sounds almost remedial to a degree, but if you try to, if you take it one bite at a time, it's a little bit easier to digest than just trying to dive in and be, you know, 
captain or miss protector right out of the blocks. It, it can be exhausting. Fred, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. And I always enjoy talking about gear and tactics and training with people who can bring value to our listeners. Your thoughts on executive protection for civilians is definitely without a doubt helpful. And I really look forward to putting that stuff into practice. So thank you very much again for bringing that information to the show for us. And to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Discord so we can keep the conversation going.